Greetings to my listeners all around the world. Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing's podcast number 115 on May 11th of 2023. My name is Ian Duncan McDonald. In today's podcast, I'll be answering three interesting questions received in the last week. But before I begin, I'd like to remind listeners that the purpose of my podcasts and my books is to show those with patience and common sense that they are capable of successfully managing their own investment portfolios. They just need to be shown how easy it is to acquire the shares of financially strong companies with long histories of ever-growing dividend payouts and share prices. No investment advisor is going to care as much about your investments as you do. Your portfolio's loss isn't their loss, it is your loss. You are just a client who can be replaced. If you do not now know or understand what you were invested in and why your advisor invested in it, then you have nothing to complain about when your life savings shrink and throw your pending retirement into jeopardy. Achieving lifetime financial independence as a self-directed investor is possible, and my objective is to show you how. Question number one. Why are you constantly pushing stock scoring as a necessity in building a strong investment portfolio? Buying a stock is a bit like buying a used car. A used car has been around for a while. Whoever is selling it is no longer in love with that car. They have their reasons for selling it and they're not about to share them with you. A car may look good. It may be a luxury model with a good reputation. The price may fit right into your budget. However, if you're going to pay tens of thousands of dollars for this car, you would ideally like to acquire a car that is in such demand that you could turn around and sell it within a week for double what you paid for it. This is unlikely with cars, but it is possible with stocks. Thus, before you put out money, you want to evaluate this car. Is it a rebuilt car that was written off in an accident and restored with hidden weaknesses? Are you going to have trouble getting it insured? Are there similar cars available at a lower price? Has the car been poorly maintained? Does it have hidden problems that are soon going to cost thousands in repairs? You'll test drive the car, stare at the engine, check consumer reports on this model and what the experts report is a fair price for it. Investing tens of thousands of dollars in a stock purchase deserves at least as much time and thought. The purpose of the stock scoring system, which I developed for myself and I provide free to those who have purchased my investment guidebooks, is to force an investor to take just a few minutes to logically evaluate their intended stock purchase. 
all the reliable information used in the scoring system is easily accessible and free from either your online investment service or from a website like Yahoo Finance. The system has 11 data elements that you must consider or score in looking at a stock. The first one is price. You expect greater financial strength and stability from a stock trading at $100 than one trading at $1. The score grades the price from 1 to 10 depending on the price range the stock falls into. The second scoring element is historical price. What was its price four years ago? It too is graded from 1 to 10. The third element is how much higher or lower is the price now compared to four years ago. A higher price now gives you some confidence that the stock's value will continue to increase. A price that is now lower makes you look more closely at this stock. The fourth element is what is the book value of the stock is calculated by the company's accountants. They take into consideration all of the company's assets, such as real estate, and subtract from it all liabilities, such as debt. The net figure is then divided by the number of shares held by all investors. The fifth element is how much higher or lower is the book value of the stock compared to the current share price. Buying a stock for $100 with a book value of $10 indicates you are not getting a bargain. However, buying a stock for $10 with a book value of $20 indicates you are getting a bargain. There is potential for the share price to increase. The sixth element is how the so-called experts, the stock analysts, see the potential value of the stock. Are they recommending a buy and projecting a future price above what you are going to pay for the stock? This gives you some confidence in making the purchase. The seventh stock scoring element is the rare strong buy recommendation, which is projecting a future share price at least 50% higher than the current share price. The analyst making such a recommendation has really gone out on a limb, which is unusual for analysts. This can encourage you to buy. In this stock scoring system, all other elements are measured from 0 to 10. The analyst recommendations in the 6th and 7th elements are each measured from 0 to 5. The reason for this is that you have no clear idea how the analysts are arriving at their projections. A study of analyst projections indicates they're almost as accurate in their predictions as betting on the flipping of a coin. However, they must be considered because analysts do influence many investors. The eighth scoring element is the dividend yield percent. The fact they are paying a dividend almost guarantees 
that the company is profitable. Unlike share prices, which are derived from what is often the emotional interplay between optimistic and pessimistic speculators, bidding on a stock in an auction, dividends are derived from profits. Profits are derived from the hard revenue and expense decisions made by the company's executives competing in the marketplace. High dividends indicate great financial strength and skill. Making a profit is rarely easy. The ninth element is a company's operating margin. It measures how efficiently a company is producing its product. A company that can produce a product for $5 and can sell it for $100 has a very high, strong operating margin. A company that can produce a product for $5 that buyers will only pay $4 for will soon be insolvent and out of business. If you invest in potentially insolvent companies, you should expect to lose all you have invested. The tenth element is the average daily volume of shares being traded. A high volume of shares when the share price is increasing is a sign of the company's ability to appeal to investors. There is demand for the stock. Investors have to offer higher and higher prices to obtain the shares. On the other hand, a high volume of stock trades where the share price is declining shows a lack of demand. Investors are fickle. Is the decline temporary or is there a problem? This is why there are 11 factors to consider in the score to give you direction, not just one. Finally, there is the 11th element, the price to earnings ratio, which indicates to me the number of years it would take for the profits of this company to compensate me for the money I have invested in its shares. Speculators in a frenzy can often bid the share price of a hot, in-demand company so high that it is unreasonable to expect the price-to-earnings ratio of 100 or more to be maintained. Competitive forces are motivated to undercut their prices and create better products. Such share prices and their profits can drop quickly. Shares with price-to-earning ratios under 20 would be more reasonable and safer. So, like buying a used car where you check the odometer, whether the tires are bald, and how much visible rust you can see, there are elements that can be checked before you buy a stock. The stock scoring system I developed for myself and provide to the buyers of my books uses the 11 elements to quickly arrive at a numerical value. With such a number, you can quickly sort dozens or even hundreds of stocks from the most to the least desirable for your portfolio. If you are like me, living off your dividends, you want to acquire the strongest stocks paying the highest dividends. However, you soon learn that the highest scoring stocks do not pay the highest dividends. 
This requires you to compromise and buy stocks that are still safe but whose scores are not the highest. It also means you need to spread your risk equally among the best 20 to 30 stocks that will give you both an acceptable level of financial strength and income. For example, I avoid stocks scoring under 50. All 11 of the scoring elements add up to a possible score of 100. The highest score I've ever calculated out of the thousands I have done was 78. The lowest was 8. Most stocks score under 50. Does the scoring system work? It has for me and for many others who have used it to select stocks. My generous income and the multiple gains in the value of my portfolio is all the proof I need to keep me scoring stocks before I purchase them and to keep on scoring those same stocks a few times each year to make sure they have not diminished. I will only consider replacing a stock when the stock score drops below 50, while at the same time, the dividend yield drops below 5%. I can go for a year without this ever occurring. You will note the absence of buying low and selling high or beating one index or another. Scoring stocks teaches you patience. You know why you chose a stock and why you still own it. This is totally at odds to the many investors who buy stocks that are popular in the media or being promoted as a stock that will make them rich. Most investors lose money in the stock market. It is really hard to lose money in the stock market when you spend just a little time scoring the stocks you are considering. Of course, in my books, I go into much more detail about the 11 stock scoring elements, but this answer is an overview of why stock scoring works. Question number two. Are we heading towards a stock market crash and how can we prepare for a crash? Yes, we're headed for a stock market crash and after that one, there'll be another one that usually occur about every five years. I have noticed that my portfolio's total value has been trending down since March 23rd of 2022 when it reached a new record high about 124% higher than the value of the low reached March 24th of 2020 in the last crash. The high before that was February 21st of 2020. It was a very fast decline. The low point prior to that had been November 20th of 2008. In this crash, the portfolio's value had dropped by about 50% from a high point that had been reached May 29th of 2008. Why does the next pending crash not bother me? Because I invest with crashes in mind. I only buy shares in financially strong companies that pay high dividends with the intention that I will never sell them as long as they are strong and continue to pay those high dividends. I noticed 
after going through the 2008 and 2020 crashes that my high dividend payments remained steady or even increased. Several of my strong stocks have raised their dividend payments every year since I first started tracking stocks in 1999. Their dividend payments have always risen at a faster rate than share prices. I live off my dividend income, and it has risen steadily over the last 20 years. Speculators cause market crashes. As optimistic and pessimistic speculators bid for stocks out of a desire to become rich or out of fear that they will lose money. Their often emotional bidding sets share prices, not the managers of the companies whose shares they buy. It is the managers in a company that control dividend payouts. Dividends come from profits, and profits are a result of the manager's wise revenue and expense decisions. Share prices and market crashes almost become irrelevant when you focus on the dividend payments coming from profits. The purpose of a company is to make a profit. The quickest, easiest way to identify profitable companies is to look for those paying high dividends and then choose the strongest of those companies. Question number three. When a company goes bankrupt or disappears, how can I recover the money I invested? I ran a large national commercial collection operation for many years. When a company goes bankrupt, if your funds are not legally secured in some way, your chances of recovery are close to zero. I can remember only one bankruptcy where the investors received any compensation from the selling of the assets. As an investor in the company, you stand in line behind all the secured and unsecured lenders, the tax collectors, insolvency charges, and trade suppliers. You are the last one in line. You could possibly benefit from the sale of any assets by a trustee and bankruptcy. Bankruptcies are under the supervision of the courts, and there is an established, orderly process that is strictly followed. If the company disappears, it is almost likely a limited company out of business without any assets that could be seized. To seize any assets, you would first need to proceed through the courts to obtain a judgment. Once you have a judgment, you can then send the sheriff in to seize assets. It costs a significant amount of money to obtain the judgment, and it takes months or years to acquire. Every week that goes by increases the likelihood that all assets have been seized by other judgment holders. To sue a company, you need to be able to serve them with a writ. This means they need to be physically contacted. If it was not a limited company, but a proprietorship or a partnership, then you're in the position of executing the judgment 
against the owners of the vanished business. However, you need to locate them, which may not be easy. There are professional skip tracers who, for a fee, will track down the owners. Then you must determine if the owners have any unencumbered assets that you can seize. Otherwise, your legal expenses are wasted. The odds often are that there is nothing to be seized and they are judgment-proof. Of course, how much effort you put into your recovery depends on how much you have lost. The simplest thing to do is to turn the claim over to a collection agency who will put in the effort to recover your money, if there seems any possibility of recovery. Depending on the amount and effort required, you might have to pay them a contingency rate between 20% and 50% of any amount recovered, plus any legal fees. At best, if you are unable to collect any of the money owed, you will end up with a capital loss that could offset any capital gains you might have in your other investments. The secret of avoiding losses is to start your recovery efforts before everyone else. This means closely monitoring all your risks. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. <laughs>